you don't have to be a rocket scientist. You don't have to be some really smart person. The more you know, the better you're going to be with diabetes. And so getting your continuous glucose values tells you what you need to do. You're the one living with the disease. Welcome to Startup Health Now, the podcast where we celebrate the entrepreneurs and innovators reimagining the future of health. I'm your host, Logan Plaster. If you've followed Startup Health at all recently, you would have seen headlines about our new type 1 diabetes moonshot. To recap, we've launched an initiative designed to speed up innovation around type 1 diabetes by bringing together a cross-disciplinary team of investors, entrepreneurs, philanthropists, researchers, and other experts. At the heart of the effort is an impact board, basically our T1D dream team, which brings together the top minds in the field for collaborative working sessions. We wanted to take some time on this podcast to introduce you to some of the inspiring folks on this board and then invite you to get involved. On this episode, you'll meet Claudia Graham, former executive at Dexcom, the company that revolutionized the continuous glucose monitor. She served as VP of Marketing over there and SVP of Global Access. Now she's putting her decades of experience at Dexcom and at 40 years as someone suffering from type 1 diabetes to work as an advisor and an investor. I caught up with Claudia over Zoom at her home in Idaho to learn more about the opportunities and challenges that she sees in the type 1 diabetes moonshot and how she thinks about leaving a legacy for the next generation. A quick note, if you're an entrepreneur or an investor, or really anyone passionate about innovating in type 1 diabetes, we want to hear from you. Just email t1d at startuphealth.com. We'd love to connect. Now, on to the interview with Claudia Graham. I'm so glad we could connect, and I'm so excited that you're a part of this initiative. But you're so nice to say that. I'm thrilled to be part of it. I've been reading up and, you know, listen, we got to give it a shot if we can make a difference. Yeah. All right. So why do you care about type 1 diabetes? Because I've had it for well over 40 years. And, you know, um, and I've been working professionally in the field for probably 30 plus. So it's a disease that is complex. And, you know, it's kind of like the more you know, the better you're going to be. Mm-hmm. And I'm afraid that that, that, doesn't, that that doesn't bode well for healthy quality, mm. right? Yeah, if you've got all the right access and all the right education, the right doctors, you're going to be fine. But there's so many people that don't have that. So it's a disease that I think can, can be modified and, and have a, you, you can have a, a huge impact on it. Yeah. Uh, how have you seen treatment and care improve over the, over the 30 years that you've had? Well, I've had diabetes now, oh, oh. probably 43 years at least. Oh, you've been working in this space for 30 years, oh, yes, right? right. Yes. For over 30 years. You know, uh, when I start, well, they used to just have um, urine testing for glucose, and then we went to blood glucose testing, and then insulin pumps came out. And I got involved in the mid-90s. And um, I was working on some type two drugs, but then I started working for a, a pump company at the time in the late nineties called Minimed. And we made insulin pumps, very, you know, good company. And we also started the first continuous glucose sensor. So we've gone from kind of nothing from the dark ages and then all the way to where we are today, which is the hybrid automated insulin pumps that talk to continuous glucose sensors. So I was at Minimed for a while uh, for gosh, probably 12 years or so with 
maybe 10, I don't know. And Medtronic bought us. And then I went to Dexcom, which was a very small company that was focused just on glucose sensing. Okay. And I stayed there until I retired. And here's the deal. It's all about your blood glucose. And, and once someone knows where their blood glucose is, then you decide how much insulin or what kind of medications or what your diet is. So it's been, it's been a fun challenge. The technology has really evolved, but it's really been more interesting to watch the patients and the doctors hmm. because they're the ones that are benefiting so much. The technology is moving quickly, but um, gosh, you, what it's meant to the patients. When you say watch them, what do you mean? Well, this is an interesting thing. So for example, when we first came out with our continuous glucose sensors, you know, 1999, 2000, um, the doc, people didn't embrace them. They weren't really user-friendly. They weren't as accurate as they are today. But then let's say, you know, fast forward another 10 years. Now we're 2008 and the devices are getting, you know, really accurate. And we've been able to show, the medical community has been able to show it really works. We had issues with a lot of physicians who thought that it was too much information for a patient mm. to see. You know, why should they see their continual blood sugars? And the doctor said, well, that's too much information. You know, they're doing fine with just checking themselves three times a day. Mm. Now you see, that's like, you know, seeing a movie and seeing three minutes of a, of a 24 hour movie. Yeah. And you don't know where you are. So the continuous glucose sensor was an eye opener, but we, we met a lot of resistance surprisingly from practitioners. Now, now there's other areas of health that have had the same pushback where, okay, you can overload patients with data and yes. you do need doctors to be a filter at some point. So what made type one different in that regard? Excellent question. You know, it looks like you've done this before, I think, Logan, because that's an excellent question. Here's the deal. There's probably no other disease in the world that requires as much self-management mm. as diabetes. And so I go back to that first thing I said, which is the more you know, you don't have to be a rocket scientist. You don't have to be some really smart person. The more you know, the better you're gonna be with diabetes. And so getting your continuous glucose values tells you what you need to do. You're the one living with the disease, you know, not some nurse, nurse practitioner that you see 20 minutes twice a year. You see what I mean? So yeah. the reason I think it's been so important is it's, it's enabled the patients and that's a, you know, feeble saying, but there's, there's nothing more true in diabetes and empowering patients yeah. to take care of themselves. And, and that's what we see. It's, it's understanding what they're doing. Uh, how, how would you describe it generally the work you did at Dexcom and, and what are you most proud of from that period? Yeah, I, I think bringing in, ushering in continuous glucose monitors and, you know, the hybrid closed loop systems. What I was tasked with, you know, I, I ran marketing and product development along the way at Minimed and, and Dexcom. But the thing that most interested me was I was over what we call kind of access. So how do we get the payers? We started domestically in the U.S., how do we get them to cover it? And that included government as well as commercial payers. And then once we had the body of evidence, we could go outside of the US and really make some cost-effective arguments. So the things I'm most proud about is, is getting Medicare coverage for CGM and being able to use the apps, uh, you know, all the insurance coverage, and then working in you know, Australia and in the UK and Germany and it was, you know, the more advanced countries, of course, that started first, but now we're, you know, we've got, there's, there's no doubt that this technology is not a help 
and there's no doubt uh, that it is cost effective for the right population. So, yeah. Um, a big reason why we launched this type one diabetes moonshot and created this impact board of which you are an esteemed member is this idea of lowering the barriers between institutions to speed up commercialization to you know research to commercialization to connect founders to startups etc so i wonder if you could speak to some of the, the that challenge as you've seen it have you seen times when boy if we could just speak to each other if we could just connect this group to this group to this group how has that played out for you you know in diabetes the difference has been really the patient advocates. They're the ones that are stepping forward and saying, hey, wait a minute, I want that technology. Why can't I have that? I'm smart enough to figure out how to use it. So they've broken a lot of the barriers and it's been those institutional barriers such as, you know, uh, well, we can't fund this because we don't think you're gonna make enough money or, you know, I mean, you name it and it's regulatory and it's reimbursement and it's this institutional behavior so that's what excited me about Startup Health is that it's kind of bypassing that. Yeah. And if we can get some of these smaller companies that have got super ideas, if we can give them enough money to start this germinating, right? Then, then maybe somebody else can come in and buy it or help take it across the line because so many things get developed and they never make it over that wall into yeah, the commercial That world. valley of death, that's they call it. Yes. And that's where the excitement is but you got to try and we've got to get away from a lot of the institutional thinking yeah uh, do you startup help is exciting do you follow uh new innovations in the space are there are there startups that you're or just products and services that you're excited about that are being developed i do follow it i'm, I'm very active in this area um some of them are are probably going to get an idea and they're not going to go anywhere unfortunately sure what happens at the end of the day, it's a good idea, but when you start really testing it on enough patients, the truth is they might not be able to manufacture it, you know, and they can't reliably produce it. So stuff does fall by the wayside, but the technologies are good uh, that are coming along. We've just got to get them through that testing phase. Yeah. And the same thing with new compounds. There's a lot of exciting work in type one diabetes in terms of immunosuppressants and beta cell therapies, regenerative therapies, that is really burgeoning. And that that's where a lot of money is being spent right now. Yeah, it's interesting to think that part of the entrepreneurial process is putting a lot of things out there, knowing that many of them will fail, you know, really, you know, investing in entrepreneurs at scale, and not just trying to pick one winner and pray, you know, like, hey, it might take investing in 10 of them to get the one. Uh -huh. Right. It, you know, and I, you're right, because, you, you know, the VCs, the smaller guys, some of these guys say, hey, you got to invest in 10 companies. And I know I've invested in a few small ones and, you know, they really sound good. To me. They haven't made it. Yeah. But I'm glad, you know, I'm glad I could give my expertise and some of my you know, money to see if we can get them over the, you know, finish line. Yeah. But it's hard. Yeah. That's it is really hard. Like this model. Let's, you know. The big boys have been in this area a long time and we still don't have a cure. And we still don't have equal access for everybody. And so I think the stuff Startup Health is doing is, is chipping away at some of these. And really the, the equality and the access issue is, that is bigger than people even realize. Mm. 
It's what, makes you, what makes you say that? Well, we can get these products developed. They might be able to make it through the, the FDA, but then payers might not embrace them. And they say, no, it's, you know, it's experimental or it'll only go to certain kind of treating physicians. So where the masses are going, they're not going to these high specialty clinics. Mm. They're going to, you know, the regular docs and the regular docs aren't specialized in diabetes. So that's, there's just, there's barriers or so many. Yeah. And um, so I'm kind of keen on chipping away at those. Yeah. I, I think it's really fascinating to bifurcate our thinking between scientific innovations and access innovations. Cause like you, like you've said, and I've talked to other members of the board, you know, there's things that we already have that we just need to get into everyone's hands. And so if a startup can do that piece, then that's, that's a, a massive innovation. Right, exactly. exactly. Uh, so you've worked with startups, you've invested in some um, startups will read this blog post who are interested in this uh, moonshot, this initiative. What's a piece of advice that you'd give to a founder who is early in the process of innovating around type 1 diabetes? You know, uh, make sure your ideas sound, have more money than you think you're going to need. Mm. Uh, I would say talk to people that have been through it, people are really willing, um, other investors, I think they're quite willing to share their story and pass it on. Mm. And I know that, you know, the network with the, the startup health is, is nice. And that's a nice benefit for these guys. Um, boy, keeping at it, but it, that's hard to say because the amount of money it, it depends what the regulatory path is. You know, are they making a device that's going to be sold by prescription and needs FDA approval, or is it going to be some remote monitoring app? So there's a lot of different mm -hmm. things. Um, think it through. Think of everything, all the worst that could happen, and it will. That your your clinical trials will fail. You're not going to meet the end point. You know, you're going to have investors that want to pull back and get their money back. You know, stuff like that, it, it all happens. It's, it's a long haul. It takes a long time. I'm not saying don't do it. Yeah, but you're, but, but, you're, but you're a realist. Did Dexcom acquire businesses while you were there? We, we did. We made a small um, acquisition of a, a small kind of diabetes device software. And, you know, once we got it, I think it was really great. But then did it stand up to the robustness that the platform really needed, mm. you know, and that our business was growing so quickly. So I think we ended up having to put, you know, what we invested in it just went by the wayside. We ended up having to, you know, put of our our own people, our own money, our own. You might as heavy. well you might as well build it yourself. At the end of the day. Interesting. But, um, because a lot of these smaller companies haven't thought through the scalability, let's say. You know, they're kind of at, at proof of concept. And so they haven't thought through the scalability. And um, so that's always a challenge. But they say, you know, listen, that's not going to be my worry. Yeah. That's going to be what revise me. So that's your advice for founders. What about a sort of everyday health investor who says, you know what, maybe I want to be an impact investor. Maybe I want to put my money behind a portfolio of targeted startups. What would be your message to an investor? Do the things that are most meaningful to you. Do your homework to find out where you think you can have the biggest impact. Mm -hmm. If I'm an investor, am I doing because I really want to get an ROI on my money? A lot of people don't anymore. I mean, they want to, 
you know, they've made their money. They don't need more money. They want to have an impact. So I like the idea of impact investing. I like that. Um, you know, you can't take it with you. And there are so many vehicles to make a meaningful, impactful investment. Research some of that. That's what. That's kind of what's exciting to me. Now, yeah. Is, you know, how do you put your money out there so it's really going to be put to good use? You said what you you retired recently from Dexcom. I retired from Dexcom three years ago, actually. Okay. Yeah. Well, Claudia, that's those are the questions I have. That's it. Thank you so much for uh, including me. Yeah, no, it's inspiring stuff. Okay, Logan, thanks a lot. Hey, thank you. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to Startup Health Now. Startup Health invests in health transformers around the world who are dedicated to achieving audacious health moonshots. If you want to learn how you can join this community of entrepreneurs, or if you want to connect with one of our 400 companies, go to startuphealth.com. If you'd like to learn how you can invest in our Health Moonshot Impact Fund, go to healthmoonshots.com. Thanks for listening to Startup Health Now. We'll be back again with another episode next week.